I've definitely grown a lot more confident and I think I feel the most me that I have in my life because of this job. One, two, straight ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising by POC artists who are the future voices of the animation industry. I'm Raymond Ozalanda, one half of your co-host. And I'm Yuki Okamura-Wong, the other half of our whole host. Our guest this week is Flora Rizardondo. She is a biracial Latinx artist working as a junior art director at FF Studios. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself? Hi, everyone. I am very excited to be here today on this amazing podcast. And as <laughs> Yuki mentioned, I am currently working as a junior art director at FS Studio. And I also work on a range of freelance projects in indie animation and illustration for a range of international clients. And I create my own short films outside of work. So the way we like to start off on Straight Ahead is by playing a little game called In Between. We are going to give you two similar choices, and then you have to choose in between the two of them and let us know why. Got it. Cool. Okay. Are you, are you, <laughs> you looked. You like froze up. You looked a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. This will be great. Okay. <laughs> okay. Cool. Who would you rather have as your grandma? Sugar Mama from the Proud Family or Chata? From Victor and Valentino. Chata from Victor and Valentino. You should have known how I would answer, Ray, because I worked on this show. <laughs> I know. The questions, set up. the questions are loaded. <laughs> yeah, Chata is so great. She she reminds me of the strong woman on my Mexican side of the family and my non-Mexican side. And yeah, she's great. <laughs> Excellent. The uh, next question. Which mad scientist would you rather deal with? Mojo Jojo from the Powerpuff Girls? Or Dr. Doofenshmirtz from Phineas and Ferb? Dr. Doofenshmirtz. He's so fun. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like he tries to act so bad, but he just makes me laugh. I think he'd be fun to hang out with. <laughs> Flora's like, I can make a friend. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> we could do a collab. <laughs> Oh, you be you like turn you you become uh evil. You like join. Him. <laughs> <laughs> this is a twist, Flora. Your new career. As I do crimes, I just laugh and smile, and I always have my brain lipstick. <laughs> it's a look. It's such a look. No, Flora. Flora starts naming all her art pieces with a nader at the end of it. Like, oh, this is my spaceship a nader painting. <laughs> Yeah. There you go. <laughs> it's going to happen. This is, my, this, this is my art conceptinator. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Flora, for playing in between with us. Hopefully you had a little bit of fun there. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't see, but I just did a thumbs up in the camera. So, Flora, uh, you you currently work at FS Studio. It's a company leading in production innovation and an R&D technology group. 
What do you do in your role as a junior art director? As a junior arts director, I kind of, I do a lot of different things <laughs> from production to giving art critiques to art directing, the look of certain parts of the project and learning a lot from my supervisors who are very talented and amazing. And what I like about FF Studio is that it was remote even before COVID because they mm-hmm. have co-workers all around the, the all around the world so I get to talk to people in a bunch of different countries every day I get to know them and learn about their cultures and kind of trade news about what's going on here and in their country That's which really is cool. really fun and art directing is a lot of work and no art I know if you, <laughs> as a as a student, you're thinking, oh man, art director, you get to do all the coolest art and then maybe some meetings. But now working as a professional art director, it's basically all meetings and spreadsheets and interacting mm-hmm. with people and politics. So it's, if you're really good at management, but also like art, it's a good option. I, I enjoy it. It's definitely a lot to get used to going from just artists to just management over the past couple months. And it's mm. been a good experience. It's really cool. Like um, for the audience that may not know too much, because uh, FS Studio isn't like a common hustle name compared to like DreamWorks and Nickelodeon. Uh, could you like talk a little bit more about FS as a, as a company? Yeah, definitely. They are a pretty recent studio. I believe they started up around eight years ago. So they're still mm-hmm. kind of up and coming. And they focus mm-hmm. on a lot of emerging technology prototypes. So everything is projects that haven't really been done before, or they're still kind of on the outskirts of technology and animation and video games. So it's really, it's really cool to see how the technology is changing. And Almost everyone who works on the project kind of is learning a lot. They don't know too much about what they're doing because it is a new form of technology and project. So it's nice because I'm straight out of school and I'm learning a lot. And my supervisors who worked in the industry for decades are also learning a lot because it's new. So we get to kind of learn together. That's awesome. That's really exciting. I am curious. How did you find FS Studio? Because, yeah, I think most people just apply like to traditionally like larger companies or companies that are more known. How did you find out about FS Studio? What made you think this was like a legit option or something like that, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. People have been asking me this, too, because it's mm-hmm. kind of... VR game technology kind of sphere. And I got out of school and I was lucky enough to do freelancing contracts for a range of jobs. So I was kind of juggling that for a while and mostly trying to get into animation. But I, again, open to anything because straight out of school, you don't always have the most options. And I think I was at 70 applications just for last year. And I saw on the SGSU design alumni email, they usually post some job postings. And if anyone doesn't know, I am an alumni from SGSU Animation Illustration. And they had posted about someone looking for a concept artist for 2D environments. And I thought, well, my style is very TV animation. I've been told by a lot of recruiters. So I figured, you know, I'm probably not going to get it, but I'll just try because my specialty is painting environments. And they reached out to me, which I was in shock because it's funny in school, I always said, I'm going to work in TV animation. That's it. I don't want to work in video games or more technology 
or more I just wasn't I didn't really think about the possibility because I didn't think my mm. style fit in that genre. So I was really happy when they reached out and the creative directors who I really look up to were saying, oh, you know, your style really fits this project and we really want you to work with us. And it kind of just went from there. But yes, shout out to SGSU Design for reaching out to their alumni and students for job opportunities. That's incredible. I'm glad you found this opportunity in that way. Thanks. Yeah, no, that's really, really awesome. Especially like when you're out of school, you might be super focused on a particular goal. But like when you're out of school and it's been a few months, it's like you'll kind of take what kind of comes along. (laughs) (laughs) Correct me if I'm wrong. I think the thing that students tend to forget a lot about is how young they actually are Mm -hmm. and how much of a lifetime they have to be in this industry. And I think you realize that you'll take this opportunity, whether or not you may not like it, and it seems like you're enjoying it and you've really progressed in that role. But I think you realize that like, this is a small stepping stone to what I could be doing in the future. Like you have your entire life to work in TV if you want to. Am I right in assuming that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, yes, at the time I was thinking, you know, I just want a stable job. And then Eventually, I do want to go back to animation. But for now, if I'm doing indie animation outside of FS Studio, I'm happy. I feel fulfilled. And yeah, it's it's been really challenging. And at first, I was kind of sad, like, oh, I thought I'd get into an animation studio right out of school because I've been talking to recruiters and um, had some opportunities fly by. But I'm really grateful for this experience because I'm learning so much in this role compared to if I was a color designer or a background painter in the sense that I'm learning all these management skills and client management and all these new technology that I didn't even know existed before. And mm-hmm. I, yeah, kind of to your point, Ray, I would tell people to be open to other opportunities because you don't know how far that will get you. And I think it's really important to think about career longevity, because if you just think about one thing and one thing only, other opportunities may fly by and that may help you grow even more, which is how I feel about this job. And Mm -hmm. I'm very, very grateful to my supervisors because I was working as a concept artist for a month. And then one of the producers got another job opportunity and move to another amazing project. And even though I'm straight out of school, I'd only been working there a month. They promoted me to junior arts director because they saw potential in me and gave me that chance, which is what it's really about. That's awesome. Congrats, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations. Because oh, the, the so promotion much. was recent, right? Yeah, I've been working as a junior art director for two months. That's that's really cool. And so how was, how was that transition for you? Because like you said, you started off as a concept artist originally, and now you're in this junior art director role. It was really hard. I'll be honest. <laughs> the first week <laughs> where I was fully in that role, I thought about quitting because I felt oh, like no. I wasn't good enough. I had super imposter syndrome, like really, really bad. <laughs> I mean, I've been, you guys know, I've been in a lot of management leader type roles in college. So that definitely mm-hmm. prepared me, especially when I was president of the Shrunken Headman Club at the SGSU Animation Illustration Program. That really prepared me for this job, just dealing with people mm-hmm. and managing a lot of different parts of a whole. Yeah, it's just 
it was like they were speaking an alien language. There were all these different terms and parts of the pipeline. I just did not understand. And I thought, oh my gosh, because I really look up to my supervisors and they've worked in like all these amazing projects for years. I was like, I don't want to let them down. I don't want them to think that they made a mistake in hiring me. or promoting me Uh. to this position. So I was super (laughs) nervous and really stressed out. And I worked like 12 hour days. And then I would just like pass out on my bed every day because I was just so exhausted. (laughs) And but it was worth it. I I've definitely grown a lot more confident. And I think I feel the most me that I have in my life because of this job, because Mm. it really pushed me that hard to find out what I can handle and what I can balance. Mm -hmm. Because it is a lot of work. I mean, arts directing is a lot of different dishes to balance. And still, you know, you can't just say, hey, I'm going to turn in because I'm tired. If you have to work overtime, you have to do it because so many people are depending on you, which can suck at times, but it's just kind of part of the job. When you were doing those like 12 hour days, were you did you let your producers know or did you just eventually catch up like yourself? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, this is this is a good question. So everyone at FS Studio pretty much is a contractor. Um, mm. So it's very project based. So they'll bring people on contracts for a certain period of time and then maybe move you to another project at the studio, um, mm. depending on the fit. Um, so there isn't really an overtime policy. They don't pay for overtime, unfortunately. So what I try to do and ask for advice from a lot of other people who are contracting is to try to balance out your hours. So if you do 14 hours on Monday and then you do four hours on Tuesday, then try to balance it out and then hopefully rounds it out to 40 hours as a whole. Um, Mm -hmm. Even if it may be like an hour in the morning and then two hours after 7 p.m. So it can be very strange and be communicative. Um, don't just do a bunch of overtime, especially if you're starting out. I say this as a hypocrite, um, but <laughs> it's, it's not great to do a lot of free work, especially if you're still getting your feet on the ground. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it just kind of happens, especially if you're in a management role, because I realized if I don't do overtime, then the people above me are going to have to do more overtime because I'm assisting them so it was kind of the cycle of overtime (laughs) um so yeah it's it's a wild project and hopefully the next one is a little calmer and yeah I I learned a lot from my supervisors and we were talking about the overtime issue and they were saying yeah just in production sometimes that just happens and you just do a bunch of hours at one period of time and then it's really slow at other parts of the the time period the production pipeline so yeah I would say be careful about it, but sometimes it just kind of (laughs) happens. But yeah, tell your supervisors. (laughs) Just keep everybody in the loop so that they know like, oh, maybe we're giving you too much work or like this is normal and everybody's working hard or... You know, just so that everybody knows. <laughs> yeah. To that point, mm-hmm. uh, originally when they promoted me, I was supposed to keep doing concept art and mm-hmm. have my junior art directing roles. And that lasted about a couple days because <laughs> <laughs> that's so, that's, you're going to do like 80 hours of work. With, like <laughs> <laughs> Because I was just um, I think it lasted three days because it just, it wasn't enough time in the day. I mean, doing concept art or just art in general, you have to sit down and just work for at least a couple 
hours block of time and art mm-hmm. directing you're like always on the ball like there's always someone messaging you or emailing you that they need this thing right this second because the pipeline needs to keep rolling and mm-hmm. it just wasn't feasible so <laughs> my my supervisors were really nice and they said hey so we're gonna take this assignment and reassign it to someone else and like we don't like please don't be offended like you're really great and you've you've done every assignment perfectly uh, and I told them you know I'm being really slow and I apologize because I'm readjusting to this role um, and they were like really nice about it so definitely communication is great and ever since then i've just mm-hmm. done art directing i think it's great i think i think communication is always key and something that you should always be mindful of at any stage or any role in the production because i think not only will it benefit you but i think um, on the production side of it they they like being in the loop they like knowing and it helps them assess the pipeline further if it's too much or too little for uh, whoever's working on that on that specific assignment definitely so outside of your day-to-day job you also do a lot of freelance for indie films on top of the full-time job how do you balance between the two it's really hard i'm not gonna lie i mean (laughs) i think for a solid month last year i was working every single day of the week and i was just so tired all the time and i was like why did i do this to myself (laughs) but at the same time i know i wouldn't do it any differently because i don't do any art at my full-time job as an art director Mm. and i need art to feel that fulfillment and ever since the Mm -hmm. start of my career it's been really important to me to work on indie films and support unheard voices and more diverse stories and I wanted to keep doing that no matter how busy I am in my day-to-day life. And it's been pretty worth it to work on my own films and support other people's films and see them come together. It's been really special. And I just have to keep reminding myself that when I'm really tired is, okay, I'm doing this for a reason. I, I need to keep doing art and doing art that I'm, I'm very passionate about outside of work as well. And yeah. I just got to keep trudging on. <laughs> That's cool. Are you so like, where do you find these indie films that you work on? Are you part of like a forum or a network? I get all of my work for the most part through Instagram and Twitter. So mm-hmm. it's very important to upkeep your social media, guys, and use those hashtags <laughs> and just interact with people because I think. Almost all of my work last year, especially since graduation outside of FS Studio, was through Instagram and Twitter. Um, people just saw my work and they connected with it and they thought I would be a good choice for their short film or their products or their projects. And yeah, it's been it's been really fun to work on a variety of projects from like bigger companies to smaller indie films and nonprofits and definitely learning a lot, just client management and learning how to balance a bunch of jobs at once. That's really, really cool. I'm glad that you're keeping yourself busy, but also try to rest when you can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I really should. <laughs> well, uh, this one so far has been calmer, which is great. <laughs> so to talk about some of your early experience, actually, how was the experience interning on Victor and Valentino? It was a really great experience. I learned a lot about the TV animation pipeline and I made really great friends there, some of whom I still talk to every week and Mm. made really great connections. And with the interns, with my crew, Victor Valentino, from other people in the studio, because I wandered around a lot and am a very social person. (laughs) And yeah, I definitely learned that 
I would excel in this type of environment and I like being creative and working with people in animation. And yeah, definitely very great experience. And I know some students don't want to apply to production type internships, but I think it's way better than our internship because you need to learn about every part of the pipeline to learn how to do your job the most efficiently, which will make you more appealing when you're up against a bunch of people and you're job hunting. And who knows if you're suddenly promoted into an arts director position, that would be very helpful to know (laughs) (laughs) how the pipeline works. (laughs) So you never know. (laughs) Totally. I think that's actually something that I have um, sort of heard like talked about a little bit before too is that I think often in the industry too people are promoted from like artist positions into directorial positions but they don't always have like leadership or management sort of skills which is it's not like the worst thing but it's (laughs) a totally different set of skills like you can be a fantastic artist but not be a good leader or like be able to communicate the vision to the team And uh, I totally think that like working in production or working in roles where you're not necessarily always hands on the art is really important and helps you build those kind of skills and like communication and stuff. And also when you work for big companies like Cartoon Network or Nickelodeon or whatever, they kind of know that most of the people applying Mm -hmm. are artists and that they eventually want to go into artist roles. So they have Mm -hmm. like programs and stuff that are built to um, let you meet different parts of the pipeline, like... I don't know if they've changed it since I was an intern, but like uh, every week at Cartoon Network, you would or every month, maybe I don't remember how often it was, but you would meet a different person in a different role of the pipeline. So yeah. like character designer, storyboard artist, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. When I was there every, I think at least once a week, they had a different person for a different part of the pipeline, which is mm-hmm. super helpful because if there's a job you didn't even know existed, you could meet someone in that job and think, oh my gosh, this is actually my dream job, which does happen a lot. And shout out to Yuki, who gave me advice because she was <laughs> a Cartoon Network now intern <laughs> and gave me advice when I was applying. So thank you, Yuki. I think it was all you, man. Don't worry about it. <laughs> But great experience, definitely. And building off of what Yuki said, it is so important to practice communication, collaboration, and leadership skills because they don't really teach that at any schools that I know of. I mean, there's like options, like extracurriculars and classes you can take if you know to look for it. But it is so important because after a certain level of people applying to these jobs, everyone's super talented. All the tests that come back look amazing. So it's really down to, are you a really great person to work with and building that reputation for yourself? And you do that through volunteering and joining school clubs, maybe working as an officer for a club and learning how to do that. Because especially if you eventually want to go into management, that is priceless and what you really need to foster. Totally agree. No, it's, really, it's really awesome. It seems like you had an amazing opportunity when you were interning. What advice would you give somebody in a similar position? How can a uh, new intern maximize being an intern at a place like Cartoon Network? 
talk to everyone, even if you're super scared and you feel like you're really awkward <laughs> and you do not have social skills, please throw yourself out there and talk to everybody. I mean, definitely be aware. I mean, because sometimes people are busy, you don't want to bother them. But people in animation are really, really nice. I mean, I was told that before I went to, to intern at Cartoon Network, but I was still so impressed and flabbergasted by how nice everyone was because people really take care of their interns. Uh, I mean, I know for Cartoon Network especially, and they want you to learn. They want to invest in you as a future possible employee. And I mean, if you just walk around and are open at least to talking to people and uh, forming those relationships, that's what they want to see. The people in HR, the people who hire you as an intern, they want to see if you're going to make the best of this opportunity because that shows you care and that shows that you want to come back after the internship is over. So even though you're terrified and you don't know anyone, please just um, just say like, hi, how, how are you today? Just that simple sentence or some opening, just saying hello can really make a difference. And that's how I made some of my best friends that I have today. Kind of like what you said, I think uh, oftentimes, I think what keeps people from reaching out or interns from reaching out to the artist is that fear of like, oh, what if they're busy? What if I'm bothering them? It's just, yeah, being aware if whether or not they are, but majority of the time, artists are willing to give you their time. Yeah. Unless they're in crunch mode, but like <laughs> majority of the time, artists are willing to give you the time. And I think it's a fear that's understandable, but it's a fear you need to be mindful of and let go. Exactly. And if you're not sure if you're bothering someone, just ask them, say, hey, are you free right now? Or like, hey, could could I talk to you for a minute? Or ask them if there's a time that works for them. Like, hey, can we get a coffee sometime when you're free? And if they don't want to, they'll say no. So, I mean, there's no harm in asking. But most of the time, they're probably <laughs> going to be open to it. So, yeah, put yourself out there. So something you actually mentioned earlier, you talked about potential opportunities flying by. During the end of your internship, you were actually offered a full-time job as a color stylist on Victor and Valentino. But you actually turned that down to go back to school. That's honestly a choice not a lot of people would have made in your position. What was your reasoning in going back to school to finish your final year at San Jose State? Yes, this was probably one of the most important decisions I made in my life. And at the time, oh. I was so torn. I was so torn mm. in half because I really wanted no, to... I can, I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... I didn't know what to do, honestly. Every day I was like, oh my gosh, what if I'm making the wrong decision for staying mm -hmm. or for leaving? And ultimately, I trusted my gut. I knew that if I dropped out, if I didn't finish my thesis film, Balinchista, which has now been in 25 film festivals and counting, and if I hadn't had the experiences with my classmates and developing my skills further in my final year, I would always regret it. I knew, okay, in the short term, this is my dream job, color designer and Victor and Valentino. And like, I fit really well with the crew and almost everyone on the crew is like, what? Why aren't you dropping out? You should stay. We want you to stay, <laughs> which is a lot of pressure. <laughs> mm -hmm. Even mm -hmm. though it was really hard to leave, I knew that it was the right thing to do. And I just trusted my gut. And I thought, you know, I may regret this, but I'm going to make this decision. And I almost went back. Like, <laughs> 
because the showrunner had even messaged me after I got back to San Jose and it was my first day or first week of my last year of school. And he was like, Oh, can you do this like art piece for me freelance? And I was just like, Oh my gosh, this is so hard. (laughs) Um, but it was, it was the best decision of my life. I think because if I hadn't gone back to school, I wouldn't have made friends that I still talk to every week. Um, I wouldn't have developed the skills that got me where I am right now as a junior arts director. And uh, with my short film, that wouldn't have existed. And I wouldn't have had the opportunities coming from my short film, Maninchista, like speaking at San Diego Comic-Con and Lightbox and Latinx animation and having um, articles written about me. Um, that wouldn't have happened probably. And yeah, sometimes you're torn at a crossroads and you kind of just have to listen to your gut and realize like what is going to matter to me the most in the long term in my life. And it was definitely the right decision for me, maybe not for someone else. There is doubtless people listening to this who think I'm crazy. And why would I do that? (laughs) Um, I don't know. I think I think you honestly, in my opinion, because I remember you were also talking to me about this. I think you made the right decision only because uh, when I was in my final year and talking to industry professionals, when I was entering a talk house or having guest speakers, when I was president of the Struggle Handman Club, is that often they would tell me like they didn't do a short film mm. at school or they wish they would have had the opportunity to do a group project with their friends at school just because it's so much harder to do something like that once you're working in the industry. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting to hear that from these industry professionals that like they're already working, they have a career, but like they said very rarely do you have an opportunity to do something like that. And maybe you're right. Some people would still have taken the job. But I think knowing you, you're Mm -hmm. someone that's always been in a leadership type role and a management position. I know you wanted to direct a short film. So for for people that have those kind of ambitions, that last year to make a short film, it's like a very rare opportunity that you have to make something really, really cool with your friends or with amazing artists that you want to work with. And honestly, trust me, it's a lot harder to do something at that scale outside of school. And if you do, it takes a lot longer to do than the year that you have when you're at school. Oh, so yeah. I think, honestly, I, th- I think you you made the right choice for you. Mm-hmm. For you, I think you made the right choice. In your position, I probably would have done the same. Thank you. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And totally agree. Speaking as someone who is now working full time plus extra projects outside of school, it is mm-hmm. so hard. <laughs> Like, it feels impossible (laughs) to create your own short film when you don't have time, you know, a class dedicated to it and a whole bunch Mm -hmm. of friends around you to work on it with you. I mean, Melinchista, there is probably 50 people who came and go working on the projects through a year and a half. And that was with like most of my time, my schoolwork. It's, It's really hard to find time when you're working full time 40 to 60 hours a week with or without freelance and you have to cook and you have to go get your smog test for your car (laughs) (laughs) it's really hard to make a short film on top of that depending on the scope of the film I mean if Mm. it's something easier to execute I think it's definitely possible I if you have the opportunity in school to make a short film especially if it's a class dedicated to time letting you work on that short film that is so priceless and to your guys point I know so many very successful people 
in the industry who still wish that they've made a short film and they still want to do it, but it's, it's so hard to find time. And as a student, you think you'll have more time after graduation, but I'm sorry to say, I don't know if that's true. (laughs) No, some, no, people, some well, people are crazy though. Yeah. Some people are able to be like Eric O. Eric O. makes a short film almost like every year, and like this man's insane. Okay, that He's man's like, insane though. So good. No, <laughs> but, so I think uh, the thing it. I also want to add. <laughs> wait, sorry. The one quick thing I want to add is that yes, there's a class dedicated if you do it at school. Also, all that free labor. <laughs> <laughs> free labor. I was class. going to it's say a something of- a little nicer. <laughs> <laughs> Like, no, like you don't have to pay anybody. No, when, but when it's, when it's outside of work, it's, it, it, it's, either, it's either a passion project and people are just as passionate about the project that they're willing to work for free after work. And that's amazing. Other times, you have to incentivize with some cash mm-hmm. if you want to get people to work on a short film outside. And then you have to go into stuff like crowdfunding, Kickstarter, things like that. But when you're doing a short film at school, everybody's doing it for a grade. And if people are also passionate about the project, you can create something super freaking amazing and pay nobody. <laughs> Why you add, why do you add that on? You sound terrible, right? I, I think it's I think it's funny. It's a bit. It's Ray, a bit. Ray pay us. You do nice. You do nice. You do nice, guys. <laughs> but I will say, if you are a student making a student project or a short film, it is generally considered okay to not pay people. But if you are graduated, like I would not feel comfortable asking my friends to work on a short film with me now and not pay them. I mean, Mm -hmm. I know some Mm -hmm. of them would probably be okay with it. But now after, you know, like working with competitive wages and fighting for, you know, like rights as an artist and making sure that you're paid enough because you you really got to watch that stuff. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I just like Mm -hmm. can't see past it for me personally. Um, Though if people still want to work on projects together, I think that's super awesome. Uh, I think it just depends on the person. Totally. So one of the things that you actually mentioned and something I want to talk more about is your award-winning short film, Malanchista. Uh, for those that may not know, it's a 2D animated short film about reclaiming the Spanish slur, Malanchista. This uh, film features poetry and a powerful abstract sequence, and it's meant to empower Latinx women through the retelling of the life of the Malinche. Uh, what was your goal behind directing uh, that short film? Yeah, I okay, a little bit more about me. I wanted to go into animation in order to tell more diverse stories and to focus on unheard voices and bring that into this media through my own work. So when I was in high school, I well, I had done art most of my life. And then high school, I started getting into live action film. And I discovered films like Amelie and Silver Linings Playbook that really inspired me. Mm-hmm. And I decided, well, mm-hmm. I am very big on social activism and educating myself in sociology. And I love art in film so maybe Mm -hmm. I'll like animation and thankfully with the SJCU animation illustration program they have a lot of extracurriculars through the club like film festivals and I had watched a couple films at independent film festival and I realized wow there's so much you can do with animation it doesn't have to be just like pg super cute stuff which is great I appreciate but I wanted to do more like adult type topics and touch on topics Mm -hmm. that are uncomfortable and really get into that nitty-gritty and 
I realized, well, if I do that, I'm probably going to have to do it in my own time because you don't see too much of that in very big, you know, animation studios, um, though there are exceptions. And kind of going from there, I knew I wanted to make my own films. And luckily, last year of the program for BFA, you get the chance to make your own thesis film. And I had started out with Letty Castellano, said she wanted to make a film with me. She was also in my year. And we had brainstormed in coffee shops for weeks. And I really wanted to do something based on my culture in Mexico. And I'm a huge nerd. So I was looking up a bunch of (laughs) Mexican mythology and history. And I had just taken this year long Mexican American history Mm. class that got me super riled up because injustice sucks. And there's so much out there that we don't really talk about really important history Mm -hmm. and unfair situations. And I wanted to focus on something in that line. And in one of my classes, our teacher had briefly talked about La Malinche, just one sentence saying, oh, you know, her name is now a slur because it's pretty widespread in Mexico. People hate her because she guided Cortez and she is said to have destroyed, you know, the Aztec society and brought it down and then had hundreds of years of slavery and colonization to follow. Um, So her name is now a cuss word, (laughs) basically. And he just said that one sentence. Mm -hmm. But for months, I couldn't stop thinking about her because I thought that is so unfair. I mean, this woman was a slave. Uh, She was a sex slave for multiple people throughout her life, including the Aztecs. And she Mm -hmm. probably hated the world (laughs) because she wasn't treated Mm -hmm. fairly and she probably didn't have many choices. And when I was brainstorming with my crew, Letty and Anne Maslin, Brianna Lundgren, Julie Thompson, Tacey Manis over the summer while I was interning at Cartoon Network and getting inspired by Victor and Valentino, um, we had decided, you know, let's just focus on her story and retell that in a way that people in a modern setting will connect with her. And in one meeting, we were trying to get really into the emotion that we felt because we were all women uh, working on this project and connecting with mm-hmm. La Malinche. And I won't mm-hmm. say specifics, but we were telling stories about our lives and people in our lives, women who were mistreated and abused and didn't really have their story known or heard. And we really want to focus on bringing Lama Lynch's story to light because so many women in history and who are living today aren't heard at all. So we really wanted to focus on that message through this film. It's very powerful. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very happy that people have connected with the story. Yeah. Yeah, no, a lot of people seem to have connected with the story because it's honestly doing really, really well on the short film circuit, especially resonating with women in Latinx community. How, how has it been for you taking your film through the film circuit and seeing it play around the world. I know it might be a little weird because I know this happened during quarantine and <laughs> lockdown. So you actually haven't, correct me if I'm wrong, but you you maybe haven't actually seen your film played in front of a live audience. It's all been virtually. Yeah, it's all been virtual. How's, how's that been for you? It's, I will say it was disappointing for me and the crew to not be able to see it on a big screen and to go in person to all the film festivals. But once I got over that, I've been pretty happy and very excited because sometimes I'll get free film festival passes for the online events and I'll be invited on panels and get to talk to people and um, people will DM me on Instagram and Twitter and um, tell me how much the film meant to them and how Mm. they connected with um, Mari's, the main character, this biracial character who's trying to find her voice and 
with the idea of bringing, you know, history to life. And it just meant so much to me. I mean, trying to trying to absorb it because it's it's strange to have your baby like your film connect with so many people on an international audience um but it's very rewarding and even though I will say applying to film festivals is is so much work I mean it just takes so much time it makes it really worth it when you hear back from people about how much they um they loved your film and how much it meant to them to see it and hopefully someday in the future people can actually see it in person because I it's such it's such a shame but I'm glad that it's honestly doing well I'm glad that's resonating with so many people because of the time and the effort and the amazing crew you had behind you making that film thank you yeah, it's really beautiful thank you so much to keep kind of uh going off the topic of like your work and the things you've done anyone who looks at your work can easily tell you that your voice comes across in your art how did you come to discover your voice that is a great question. <laughs> I've been doing art ever since I was eight years old and I picked up how to draw manga book as people do. Excellent. <laughs> it started drawing on sheets Every, of paper. Everybody can relate to that. <laughs> yeah. And I am very, very grateful that my mom, my dad were always very supportive of my career choice and they wanted me to work in animation before I did. <laughs> they were like, oh, Flora's good at art. She's going to work at Pixar. And I was was like I don't know if I want to work at Pixar but that was me as like a child <laughs> and um especially because is it can be common in Latinx households to not be as supportive for art positions but my dad um probably because my mom is a professional artist never saw it that way so I'm very grateful for that mm-hmm. and I will say I did go through a period um beginning of college where I didn't really do any personal art And I kind of lost my voice and I was so stressed out because I was like, oh my gosh, like, I don't remember how to do art for fun anymore, which happens sometimes when you're doing fundamentals all the time. And it's just, you're so focused Mm -hmm. on getting the perspective right and learning all the rules that you Mm -hmm. kind of forget how to loosen up. And from being inspired from people around me who were doing a lot of personal art, I started to just try and like doodle every day and slowly get back into it. And the more I found what I wanted to say, what I wanted to explore with Mexican culture and Mexican American history, the easier it became. I didn't have to think about what am I going to draw today? I was just like, oh my gosh, I just learned about the Pachuco period in LA and the Sailor Sea riots. And I really want to draw this because I want people to know about it. So then I made a whole project Mm -hmm. about it. And then I was like, you know, I love Les Mis and would it be cool if it was in the Mexican revolution instead of the French revolution? I started drawing that. And I realized as long as I focus on what is what I am passionate about and what I care about, which is um, sociology and learning about um, social injustice and showcasing what we can do better to make the world better, um, then I will never have art block (laughs) to say. (laughs) Um, So that's where I get my inspiration from. It's just history, I would say. That's really awesome. I'm glad that you've had that I guess that rediscovery of, of your voice, because I think mm-hmm. that is challenging. I think a lot of students do also face that when you and it's it's good to learn the fundamentals, but sometimes you can get so caught up that you, yeah, you forget to draw for fun. You forget what inspired you to draw. Exactly. And so I'm glad that you had you had that rediscovery. And yeah, like it seems like your cultural background does play a huge role in your art and kind of your voice. And that's 
Honestly, to me, super amazing. Mm. Thank you so much. It makes me happy. Do you have other specific uh, inspirations uh, to your style? Because it's not um, like traditionally like realistic. It's much more stylized, like graphic sort of designed. Mm. Um, are there any like artists that you looked up to? Because like the subject matter, of course, is the uh, like your passion and stuff. In yeah. terms of like your, yeah, yeah, artistic voice. Definitely. Okay. Uh, this is hard. Tadahiro Urusugi. <laughs> I'm so saying his name wrong, but he is my hero. I love his color and shape design. <laughs> and he really, really inspired me when I was trying to find my personal style again during college when I was kind of like, how do I do art? <laughs> but I found mm-hmm. that I was drawn towards artists that were very focused on color and shape design and very flat kind of graphic design almost, like very simplified, stylized. And I just realized that I love drawing that kind of style the most. And the more I drew, the more I painted, the more I researched, the more artists and art styles I kind of piled up in my mind's library. And that allowed me Mm. to form my own style. That's cool. I think it's really important to continue like pulling inspirations outside of your school because like you Your professors are, are there to just teach you the fundamentals and kind of what mm-hmm. they know. But like you as a unique person with unique tastes will will find things that you like and adapt it to your own style. Yeah, I totally mm-hmm. agree. I mean, school is great. I, I saw a post by Pascal Campion, who's also amazing. He gave me two crits in my life that were brutal, but really helped me. (laughs) Like it was brutal, but also it was so helpful. And he posted this comic recently on Instagram that kind of showed how like school gives you the tools, but you have to decide how to use them. So you can't just, just Mm -hmm. go to the classes and do the homework and expect to like, Ooh, get a career and a job right away. Like you have to find who you are and like put in the effort to make your own stuff because that will make you stand Mm -hmm. out the most. And yeah. Yeah. I think, I think school is a good way to learn more about yourself and to also kind of keep in mind, that everything you learn might not always be applicable to you. You're going to pick up and choose what you resonate with and how you carry forward. And yeah, also like we, we, a lot of the guests we have have gone to like school, but again, school isn't the only path. Something that I also liked about uh, Pascal's post was that, and something I want to emphasize is that no school, no program is perfect. Mm-hmm. No program, whether it's, whether it's Cal Arts, San Jose State, uh, SVA, no program is going to guarantee you a job in the industry. No program is going to guarantee you they're going to come out a great artist. It's what you do with that time and those resources and how you make the most of it. But each each and every person has their own unique path to their eventual goal. Definitely. So to kind of go back about you and goals on that topic is what future aspirations do you have for yourself in this industry? I would love to work for a unionized animation studio at some point in my career as a <laughs> doesn't have to be I now. like how you emphasize you nice. <laughs> it's important no guys seriously though when you're no, is, living on is. your own and you're supporting yourself union mm. is like a godsend like you <laughs> it's so important i mean yes look out look out for the unions please and also Side note, you have to live in L.A. to be in the animation union, um, which is unfortunate, but just so people are wondering. And yeah, I would love to work for a animation unionized studio (laughs) as a production designer eventually and um, probably shorter term just as a visitive artist or a color key artist or a painter. Um, And yeah, just learn as much as I can. 
Totally. That's really awesome. Do you do you do you have future plans to also like make another short film or do something on the non full time work side? Ooh, okay. I do have some very exciting projects outside of FS Studio that I think will be released later this year. So check out my social media <laughs> because I'll be posting about it um, later this year, probably. And yeah, if you want to check out Malinchista, we have a Twitter and Instagram and I post updates on there. We have an Etsy shop now if you want to check out our merchandise and if you want to just see our film festival journey. Lastly, to kind of wrap this up, what advice do you have for any students that want to pursue a career in this industry? Oh my gosh. Okay, I need to choose one thing because I can talk for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Don't just focus on your job. Like, don't make art, career, animation, like your only goal in life, or don't make it the only thing you live for. Because if you graduate and you're unemployed for a period of time, or you don't have work, or you don't have the job that you are working so hard for, it's devastating. Like, you spiral into this life identity crisis mode. It happens to me, it happens to other people I talk to um, who now work in animation, and it's just important to be balanced and to have other things in your life besides just your career. I say this as a workaholic because career is my <laughs> life, but it shouldn't be the only thing in your life because, yeah, there was a month where um, I was looking for work last year and I took it as a break, but I was unemployed and I was just so depressed and stressed out because I thought well if I'm not an artist then who am I and I went through this this spiral and then I realized you know what I am a young strong independent woman who cooks and does yoga and reads and does all these other things and has great friends and community and if I'm not working at my dream studio or if I'm not working in animation that doesn't mean that I am worth less than I am. It doesn't mean that I am not who I am. So it's really important to remember that, especially if you're going through a hard time or if you just graduated and there's a pandemic and it's hard to get a job (laughs) because everyone's working from home. So it's just important to keep that perspective and not put all your eggs in one basket because that will lead to internal strife, I will say. Perfect. A very sound advice. Yeah, wonderful advice. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can our listeners find you? And is there anything else you want to promote this time? Thank you guys for having me. I am very excited about this podcast. <laughs> I think it's very important oh. to have BIPOC voices online. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram or LinkedIn at Flora Risa. Basically, my first name underscore part of my last name. And yeah, feel free to reach out if you have questions or want advice. I may not get back to you right away because my job is crazy, but I will get back to you. (laughs) And yeah, thank you guys for having me. Thank you so much for being on. Awesome. Well, if you enjoyed our interview with Flora, please rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune in. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at StraightAheadAP and let us know your response to today's in-between questions. Or if you have any suggestions for future in-between questions, contact us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any suggestions for future guests, please tweet at us. We love discovering new artists and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. 
And finally, a big thanks to our music composer, Daniel Rodier. Daniel's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hire him. <laughs> thanks again for listening. And thank you once again to our guest, who has a bright future straight ahead. Until next week, have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.